Hello and welcome to episode four of the Her Story podcast powered by Digital Women. I am your host, Lucy Hall, and here is my co-host, Charmily. And today we are joined by the incredible Andrea Dunlop. And Sean is going to let you know a little bit more about Andrea right now. <laughs> amazing to be here. And um, hi to anyone that's listening. Um, amazing to be on this podcast with um, Lucy and Sean. Thanks very much. So just a very brief intro then, dear listener. Andrea, so technically, um, I know Andrea. When I say technically... Um, it, it means that I kind of have, have had some of these, you know, coffee chats and very deep and serious chats about regulation and inclusion and her particular area, which is payments, which we'll get her to talk about in a minute, actually, because payments and pay tech for all you digital women out there may not be an area that you've actually thought about um, up to now. And um, it'll be really interesting. I think it's an area that you'd find lots of you would find really fascinating. So as I say, technically, I kind of know her. Lucy absolutely doesn't. So but just to say at this point that, um, yeah, Andrea is a phenomenal woman. Uh, she is officially a payments or a pay tech pioneer. She's regularly winning awards. She got a shelf full of awards. She, well, you're laughing, Andrea, but it's absolutely true because we can see some of the shelves behind you. Our listeners can't, but we can. Andrea is also famous for being extremely passionate and informed and articulate, of course, and full of energy on lots of issues that are not just about her being a successful businesswoman, which, by the way, she really is. And again, m and coming out of her ears and, you know, big, important senior jobs and all of that stuff. But the other thing that Andrea really spends a lot of time and passion on is that she's supporting women and supporting others, regardless um, of gender and any other um, intersectionality, actually. And, and I'm really excited that for you, actually, listeners, and for me and Lucy, that we're going to dig into that in a little bit more detail, because that's coming from some really deep and dark personal experience. So once again, we're inviting you to get to know a woman where who looks like everything sorted, always has been. But actually, not only is she just as human as us, but she is really open and incredibly engaging and moving, actually, about how she talks about that as well. So, Luce, that's the um, the top line introduction. So over to you to kick us off with the conversation. Yeah. So, Andrea, it's so great to have you here. I, I just find you amazingly inspirational. And it was when I was watching the YouTube video of you at Westminster when you were doing a talk that we were just talking about before we started the podcast, just now started recording. Sean was saying how she'd learned so much about you and she was watching this video and it kind of made her feel really emotional uh, because what you were saying was incredible. Sean, do you want to tell us a little bit more about this? And then I would love to hear Andrea's story because you have this fantastic story about shoes, don't you? But I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to give it away. I'd love for you to be able to tell us what, what happened and what your experience was. So top line for this, uh, the YouTube, uh, Andrea was giving a speech, a swanky speech, at swanky Westminster with a load of swanky people in the audience. And she was talking about financial inclusion and one of the things that really just kind of made me, well, I did, I had a little weep actually at my desk was when Andreas was talking about her upbringing and she said that she'd sent a Christmas card to her debt collector. And Andrea, it made me, it took me right back to, to where I started off in a very poor council estate where we actually 
couldn't pay the TV license, but the TV was pretty much all we had. So uh, we actually thought, and our mum included, that if we turned the volume down, the TV detector van wouldn't be able to find us. I mean, and it just, it just, it took me right back there. So look, enough from me and Luce for now. Just talk to us about about where you came from and, and, and uh, yeah, share the shoes as well. That would be fantastic. So first of all, I literally, you said it earlier on that I look like I have everything sorted. I literally have nothing sorted. So um, whatever you see on the surface, I can tell you now, there'll be a whole wake of chaos behind me. And um, I probably scramble most days. So, and I suspect that's the same for, um, you know, a lot of women and, and probably a lot of men. It's just that people aren't that honest about the reality of what goes on in their life. So just to give you a bit of, back, of my background, um, so, um, you know, as Sean has alluded to, you know, I, I didn't necessarily have a privileged background. Um, when I left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and um, options were pretty limited back then. And I'm, I'm showing my age now because this is going back into the 80s. The cool time, I think, for music, by the way. Um, um, so I joined the military at 17. And, you know, I joined because for a number of reasons. One, it gave you a home, gave me a roof over my head. You know, it gave me an income and it bought me time to, you know, kind of work out, you know, what was it I wanted to do with myself, which, you know, as I said, you know, I was completely clueless. And I didn't expect, if I'm honest, that I would survive the course. You know, I, I can't say that I you know, I always aspired to be in the military. I, I, you know, I'm, I wasn't one of those people. But what I will say is that the military gave me focus. You know, it gave me that determination. It taught me skills, different skills, um, you know, and, um, you know, it, it enabled me to grow. Um, I, I spent 13 years, it's hard to believe, in the military you actually get less for murder, I think, these days. Um, and actually, maybe better accommodation. <laughs> it's a bit harsh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I spent 13 years in, in the military, and um, it, it, it was, a, it was an, an interesting journey. What I found was that, I don't know if I'm just a late developer. I, I suspect I was. And I think um, as my time went on in the military, I recognised that I... I had developed skills. I'd started to gain a bit more confidence. You don't have confidence at, at, at 17, you know, to go out into the big wide world. Um, and especially not being in that position, you know, having gone through university, all of those aspects. I hadn't done that path. The military, you know, had taken me down a different path and educated me and taken me through that process. So it gave me the confidence to start to look at, you know, what's beyond the military. I pretty much outgrew it. When I think of the military, I think of it as an extension of school for me. And I was just, I just needed another 10 years plus to, to get over that, to work out what it was I was going to do. So um, not a traditional path into the world that I'm in now, but I think it's definitely one that's, um, that has kept me grounded and given me different skills maybe from other people, you know, and, and, and given me the, the focus and the determination and probably courage, you know, um, I don't lack in that area on on stepping out and being out on my own and, and making difficult decisions. Um, it's something I excel in. I think the other aspect that I bring from the military is, is that ability to, um, you know, to be quite minimal about things. When you're in the military and you're off on tours of duty or detachments, as we would call them overseas, 
you know what, I can still go away now um, on holiday with my husband with probably a toothbrush and a pair of knickers. I literally do not need to pack suitcases of items. Had I not have spent all those years in the military, I'm sure I'd be like everyone else, but I'm really not. I'm quite minimal on those aspects. Sean's going to probably laugh at this because she stayed over at my house and she's been around me. So she's probably thinking that is not the case at all. She's not minimal. Um, but I, I can be. I can really sort of get down to basics and do with very little um, when I need to. And I think that's, that's probably not just the military. That probably stems back to, you know, my childhood as well. So um, I'm trying to think, where am I at now? <laughs> Where are you at now in, in terms of what? In your life? No, on my, on my, my journey with you guys, just trying to talk you through it all because it's, it's kind of complex. And uh, like, yeah. every, like every woman, you know, we go down different paths. And, um, you know, some are, you know, some are good paths, some are less so. But I, I, I think the fact that I'm quite good at adapting and and recognizing when things aren't right and then changing and going in a different direction even if that means I've got to take a step back even if that means I've got to do something that I didn't think I was going to do um, I will do that I'm quite brave in those decisions and I think that type of mindset has generally benefited me not always but generally I just wanted to ask actually about what you um what would, what did you do in the military because i d- i didn't quite get that so it would be really cool to find out you know what did you do in the military were you like a soldier or <laughs> something else or were you doing some operations work like what were you doing yeah so i was in telecoms and i was stationed in a mixture of locations you know in the uk but also overseas so i did a number of overseas tours out in the gulf and kind of providing communication services to our squadrons and our aircraft and things like that. So, you know, quite interesting. And actually, it turned out because it's funny, actually, when I went to join the military, and you, you know, I, I didn't come from necessarily a military family, so I had no clue of what jobs you went. But I had this fixation in my head that I just wanted to drive a truck. God knows why. Um, but I kind of thought I'd look cool in some really big trucks at the time. I think you do when you're 17. Who doesn't want to drive a truck at 17? Not um, me. Not <laughs> me. <laughs> when, I went through, um, when I went through the um, recruitment process and, and they do all the testing on you, uh, thankfully, a very decent sergeant said to me, I really don't think you want to be a transport driver. I suggest you go for something um, a little bit stronger, a little bit more technical. And, you know, why wouldn't you consider these trades? And out of the trades he kind of put forward to me, you know, telecom seemed quite interesting. Um, And thank God I took his advice. And otherwise, and not that there's anything wrong with it, I would probably be a truck driver for Morrison's now, which is, you know, perfectly a good career. Um, but um, it would have taken me down a very different track as to where I am today. But I do have all the licenses. So my husband does laugh at this. I have more licenses than him, can drive a truck, um, can do motorbikes, can do cars. So there are some perks um, that you come out of the military with, with these endless licenses. (laughs) That's what I was going to ask, actually. Did you get to drive a truck in the end? Yes, I did. I did. And actually, you'll laugh because I still have a thing for vehicles. Um, you know, I have a thing for tractors and there's certain things that <laughs> don't, don't ask me why. But I guess in my relationship with my husband, we've probably got a bit of role reversal. So I'm very much into anything engineering and how things work, um, less around, you know, curtains and cushions. I'm definitely not a curtain and cushion girl. 
she's not going to believe that, but I'm definitely not. <laughs> I I believe it. I believe it. I'm just wondering, what's your favourite tractor then, Andrea? Probably definitely a Massey Ferguson. It's always got to be a Massey Ferguson, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I come from Devon originally, as you may remember, and you know, I've never I've never been on a tractor actually, but you grow up in Devon, just kind of knowing about Masseys, as we call them. Well, the John Deere is the one that um, if people have got a lot of disposable income, they'll want a John Deere. It's the... Uh, oh, yeah. That's... Okay, okay. <laughs> so you heard it here first, dear listener, that Andrea Dunlop's favourite tractor is a Massey, but she didn't specify what, so which one? So we'll have to leave that for another occasion. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, um, for, again, you know, really interestingly, as, as Lucy pointed out, you know, I... I've known you since 2018. We met on a panel. I was a facilitator. That's how we met. And the way I work is I always try and have the conversation with people before I meet them first time on stage because, you know, it's just it's just better that way. I think you get a better quality of conversation. And I remember very distinctly, Andrea, being really, I mean, I was looking at your biog and, you know, queen of this, director of that, CEO of this, you know, massively um, amazing and impressive track record in the commercial world, which we'll talk about in a minute, actually, as part of, you know, explaining who you are and how you got to where you are and what matters to you, all of that good stuff. But but what I remember very particularly, and one of the reasons why I wanted to get to know you afterwards, was the way that you were so open. And, you know, you didn't know me. I'm pretty good at creating rapport. Yes, okay. But still, you made the decision that said, actually, you, I, you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to talk about myself, I'm going to talk about the things that matter to me. And one of those was growing up poor. I hope you don't mind me putting it that way, but that's what it was. One of those was deciding that you didn't want that life. I mean, as you've put it before, you didn't want the life that your mum had. One of those was about saying, I am going to make enough money to feel safe and secure. And beyond that, actually, beyond being safe and secure, I'm going to have the kind of lifestyle that I, I think I deserve, which I really admire, as you know but also this sense of purpose. And when you talk about your Air Force career, you also talk about coming out of that with a with a real deep sense of we've got stuff that's worth preserving here. And you've 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 taken I've seen you taken that we're really privileged and but we can't take it for granted, particularly in terms of being women, particularly in terms of living in a open and democratic society. And I've seen you take that into your payment world as well, around being quite sort of out there and quite definitive about um the role that that your particular sector needs to play in in keeping supply chains clean, keeping women and children and girls safe. Um because I think for, for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about payments and pay tech and, and where you see that in the whole, the digital kind of world um, and why it's important. I think I think two things. I think to, to share that with, with our listeners, many of whom will, will still not be thinking about payments and pay tech, Andrea, but also around that, that purpose thread that's that's gone through pretty much everything as well. Yeah, well, I mean, when I look at payments, it's funny, it's not viewed as a utility, but um, but essentially it is. You know, we all take it for granted. We all um, buy things on a daily basis, whether that's in a shop physically or whether you're doing that online. And I think the thing that's interesting that's happened during COVID is the whole digital uh, digitalization that's occurred of payments through that period, you know, where we had a a much more split here in the UK, you know, and, and although there was a lot of people embracing e-commerce, 
you know, now as we're starting to come out of COVID, you know, pretty much everyone has been forced down that path. Um, you know, whether they really like it or not, unfortunately. And that has some consequences and consequences that kind of concern me. You know, and if I think back and I, I, and I guess, you know, even though I'm not in that world now and I am in a privileged world and I, and I fully understand that, I can still relate to, you know, things of the past. You know, and Sean and I talk about this, you know, uh, a, a number of times. And I think one of the challenges of what's going on in the world with all the digitalization aspects is there are aspects of society that aren't in that place yet. And my fear and concern is that we leave people behind in this process. And people are, are inadvertently discriminated because of how fast this is all moving. And that's something I feel quite strong about. Um, and we saw it in COVID. We saw that, you know, for people that, you know, elderly people and vulnerable people that weren't able to get out, um, having to hand cash over, um, to, you know, strangers to help them with shopping, you know, it puts them in a very vulnerable position. And, you know, we're only now really starting to adapt products, you know, to really cater to these scenarios. And so much more thought needs to go into that, um, you know, to ensure that, you know, we're supporting all aspects of society. And I think that's the thing that eats away at me a little bit. I think having come from, you know, being in that bottom percent uh, and not having things, you know, I still have some aspects that relates to that. And so I have a little bit of passion around that. And it is a focus of mine from a, from a payments perspective and also a regulatory perspective on trying to do the right thing uh, and make sensible decisions that um, are right, not just for a few customers, but for all customers. So I don't know if I've answered that well enough, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's driven from past definitely driven from past experiences there's no doubt about that I think that's really interesting as well especially the um, things you were saying about um, how people are getting left behind because it was only a few days ago I was talking to my dad my dad's 71 and I don't know if this is a generational thing but he's also a market trader still so he still works because he needs he needs to be able to still work so he can get the cash so that he has can top up his pension and that kind of thing actually in fact most of my family are still working past 70 so that they have enough money to you know live a decent life and he he was just saying that he worries actually about the fact that he he goes to a lot of places and he can't use cash um, because he only has cash and he has this issue with kind of using his card he doesn't have apple pay on his phone and um he just worries now he's saying he's worried about when he says when everybody is paying by card then all of a sudden the fees will get hiked up and you'll start having to be charged for every transaction you make. And these are the concerns, I think, that kind of people are having, especially at my, my dad's sort of age group. Yeah, and I, I mean, there has been law passed on this. I think there was an announcement on this recently. So, I mean, really, you know, shops, should if you're going into a shop, they should be taking cash. You should have that choice. I mean, I still believe in choice and I still believe cash will be here for a lot longer. And that's kind of a strange thing when I run... Um, an e-commerce business that I'm still advocating for that but I think that's because we just haven't yet you know really built all of the products around all of the different types of scenarios across our society so I do think it's important and I think it feeds into other aspects we've also got to bear in mind that if even if you take outside of payments not all of the country is on broadband they don't all have access to mobiles they don't all have that internet connectivity. So there's a lot of reasons, you know, why we're not quite there yet. 
And if you think about, you know, services like Money Supermarket and Compare the Market and where people can kind of switch services, again, you know, these types of products are very much geared at um, those of us that are, that are on the internet, that are aware of these products and understand how they work. But if you're not and you're someone that's living day to day and using cash, you're missing out on the discounts and the opportunities because those discounts and opportunities are not passed to people that are not in this situation. And we're really narrowing down and assuming that the whole population has been on this journey. And that isn't the case. And much more work, in my opinion, needs to be done by the government, charities, um, financial providers. I think it needs a combination of, of groups of people to kind of bring this together and get this right. And it's not going to happen overnight. To me, we're still years away from getting this right. Years. When you talk about this, you can just tell how passionate you are about it as well, which I just find really, I just, I just find it I don't know, just like really exciting that you have this passion and that you're thinking about, that you care and you're thinking about those people in society as well, which is just, I just think it's awesome anyway. I thought I'd just add that. My mum had a bank account and not like a lot of people. I mean, she was only in her 60s when she died. But my mum, you know, she used to use her bank card and just go to the bank, you know, each week, pull her cash out and then go out and then spend in the supermarket. She would never think of using her card um, you know, at the checkout in the supermarket. She very much operated in a cash budgetary kind of aspect. And I think a lot of people still work like that. And if you think with branches closing, I mean, actually, even using the ATMs was a was a big thing for her. She actually liked to go inside the branch. So we're still a period away, a good period before actually, you know, we have a generation of people that are comfortable operating in a different aspect. And that isn't there yet. And, and, we, and we need to consider that. I would like to just get you to talk a little bit more about the careers, the kinds of jobs that are available in, in pay tech and payments, Andrea. But I just I feel compelled at this point before we move on to that, just to say, I don't think it is just a generational thing, actually. And, and, and I think there are, you know, it's not about necessarily age groups, but I, I, I think people are making very rational decisions about who they trust with what whether it's their cash or their data. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm a big fan of fintech and the financial services. We clearly can't work without and live without both of them. But actually, there are good reasons why trust is so low, right, in financial services. So I think there's, there's bigger factors out there, isn't there, around fixing that problem, Andrew, as you've talked about, than just people somehow, you know, not knowing or not kind of being either averse to change or, you know, other kind of almost irrational factors, when in fact, there are a whole load of rational factors that, you know, anybody of any age would think twice about giving their data to, to, to outfits. And I know in your world, um, Andrea, I mean, you're, you're constantly, I'm, I'm very grateful for it, by the way, tagging me or sending me stuff that says, look at this, this is what's happening. This is what we're fighting against at the moment. Um, but anyway, we could we could talk about that forever as well. I, I, I'm really interested in you talking about the kinds of jobs and careers that are available in your world, Andrea, because I just know that until I met you, to be honest, even as someone that thought about fintech a lot, pay payments, what? And I've realized how not only how integral they are, but also actually really quite sexy and exciting in a good way. 
it is exciting and I do find it sexy so I do think that probably makes me look a little bit boring but um, it's funny you're right no one ends up in payments you don't come out of school or you know any process where you think you know I am definitely going to work in payments that place is hot that is not top of your agenda when you come out you come out and you just think I want a job I don't care what it is but I'm going to do something what I love about payments is people do come from all walks of life. So it isn't that they come out with a certain degree and they end up in our sector. Now, maybe that will change, you know, as I'm, you know, coming to end of life. We'll see a new breed of people <laughs> that will just enter into the space that are like payments gurus. But actually, people have come from all kinds of sectors. So, you know, I come across other service people, believe it or not. You know, people that have come in that have come in via the financial services track or the technology track. But I think it's a bringing together of people that have come from all different walks of industry. And I think that's what's really special about payments. So you don't need to have done 20 years in a, in a bank to come into this area. You don't need that kind of expertise. And actually, people that bring in different perspectives, different ways of thinking, actually are really welcome in this industry. So, I mean, we have everything in this sector. So you could be a technologist. You could be someone who's really into regulation and compliance. And actually, that's an area I, I definitely veer towards. Um, you could be much more in the commercial area um, or product or innovation. I mean, marketing is super sexy in payments. I mean, hard to believe, but it is. You know, all the fintech wrappers around everything. I mean, there's really a lot of aspects that you could go into. So there's no shortage of opportunities. And actually, even through COVID, you know, payments has been incredibly stable. You can see a lot of companies um, recruiting. Um, there is no shortage. What there is a shortage of, if I'm brutally honest, um, is um, is enough people with um, talent um, and enough people that are actually open to doing things slightly differently. So what you do see is the same people going around the organisations and really probably what we need is a nice big fresh intake of fresh people with fresh views that think differently that get us to the next level. And I guess that's not uncommon really in any sector. I'm guessing that's the same, Sean, in insurance. You've got the same people wandering around, going from company to company. It's that fresh talent that comes in that takes, you know, that industry to the next level. So if we had people who are thinking, wow, I love the sound of Andrea and love the sound of what she's been able to do and you know you can end of life I have a problem with love because we're not that far away in terms of age but you know she's been working in the sector for a while she still feels really sort of passionate about it so where would you go so I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking I'm doing my jogging or I'm pushing my pram or I'm working on my assignment my SEO my for my client or our digital women do all community do all kinds of stuff right so well, that sounds really interesting, actually. So, so how, where would you suggest that people start to kind of get get to dig into uh, into the sector and find out for themselves? Well, actually, for women in particular, there are um, a lot of um, groups out there for women in payments. So, one of the ones I belong to is the European Women in Payments. Um, we have job boards on ours. Many of them do. So, I think there's trade bodies you can go to. Um, there's women's networking groups that you can get into that will enable you to break into that. But another aspect to try and, and, and I was actually advising someone only a few weeks ago, is look at some of the fintech incubators. 
Um, look at some of them, go and volunteer, go and offer skills, you know, and help out in those areas, which will give you exposure to some of the fintechs and possibly open up opportunities for you. So there is no shortage of opportunities in the fintech space. If you're looking for something where, you know, it, it, it's a bit more of a corporate you know, then it doesn't take much. You know, when you look at the trade bodies, you can Google some of the big payment companies. So if you look at the likes of Klarna, Stripe, WorldPay, all of these companies are heavily recruited. You know, uh, there isn't many payment companies that aren't recruiting right now. And there's some great companies out there with some really great career paths. So I think it's a great industry. It's a buzzing industry. And there's so much happening. I mean, I, honestly, I don't think it's been, I mean, my, my and bear in mind, you know, I came into this straight from the military. So I came into payments at age 30. So this is kind of my second career. And I think for the first 10 years, it was probably a little bit dull, not as exciting. And then I don't know what's happened from 40 onwards. It's just gone mad. And you can see it when you look at the valuations of the companies in our sector. It's so buoyant and so exciting and so fast paced. You might not feel that when you're at a till paying, um, but behind the scenes, we're all scrambling to keep it all going. And so it is an exciting environment. <laughs> it does. You do make it sound really exciting. And I hope people who are listening are like, yeah, I'm just going to check this out. Payment sounds real sexy. And I do mean that as well. It does. So I just, so that brings me on to like another question actually that I have for you. And that is that, so for digital women listening, they might not know anything kind of about payments and finance and some of the technology side of things. Um, we've heard a little bit about how you went from military and you and then you started to work in um, payments. I don't know exactly how you got there, so it might be nice to find out about that in a minute. But what do you think the future then is of payments, like with all of these different technologies emerging, blockchain and all of the, these things that we're talking about, our digital skills event, for example, people are probably thinking, gosh, there's so much going on. On in technology right now um how do i know where all of this is going so where do you think payments are going and technology around you know money is going in the future yeah i mean well obviously look you know there's all this blast on you know it, it, it you know it's heading towards full digital and cashless what i will say is that i think that where we haven't thought about payments historically and we just go to the till and pay what you've seen now is the transformation of payments being much more embedded into the experience. So, I mean, Uber is a great example of that. You know, you know, you get in your taxi and that payment experience is pretty much seamless from when you enjoy that ride. I think we're going to see much more of that. And if you look at um, new technologies that are coming in, which they call open banking, which is, you know, the opening up of, um, you know, banking services that fintechs can leverage, we're going from a model where there's been a bit of friction um, for consumers and consumers may not have seen the value in payments but I think we're going to go to a model whereby it's much more customer centric and the new products that come out will will have the the customer at the heart of everything rather than it just being an end aspect which is what it's been now and sometimes the experiences I mean you know if you're on I won't name all the the kind of sites we probably all Google and, you know, and, and buy stuff from. But the experiences can be a bit hit and miss. And if you're filling in endless bits of information, Jesus Christ, you lose the will to live. Even I lose the will to live on it. It's like, had they not designed it a bit better, 
that is going to change. That is going to happen. And that embedded experience that we see with Apple Pay, Uber, and all of those aspects, we're going to see much more of going forward. And interestingly, the things that I got really excited about that I saw the first of, and a carpet shop is the one I'm going to highlight to you. This, this is what's happened over, over COVID. Um, so, uh, you know, and I'm not that we're all buying carpets at the moment, and certainly I'm not, I have to tell you. Um, but you can go on this website and it's the virtual reality aspect of seeing your house with that carpet, that room with that carpet, that whole integrated shopping experience. And then you buy the carpet instantly as part of that process. I love that. And then the other one, I was trying to think of what the name is like, shop and snap. So you have a lovely bottle of wine that you love take the picture of the label and then you can then buy that wine. It immediately takes you through on the app to purchase that wine that you've just sampled at someone else. That's an amazing experience. And you don't think about the payment. You just think, I love that wine. Yeah, it's actually amazing. And um, it's not just that, because I'm really excited about this, actually, about the customer experience and the way that marketing integrates with them, with all of this kind of thing. But it's audio as well. I love the way you can just go on Alexa and you can ask her to get your normal sharp and you, nothing, you don't have to think about paying, but it's automatically happening for you. And it's that great experience of being able to, you know, order your regular items every single month just by talking to Alexa and then it arrives with you. So actually, it is really exciting when you look at it like that, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. They're even doing it with plants, for God's sake. So over COVID, like, you know, if you find a plant that you like, you know, you're in your garden, take the picture of that plant, it then says what it is, and then you can buy it. I mean, like, you can see where it's all going to. And I think this is going to be transformational for many people. But again, it's not losing sight of the fact that a lot of technology is used in that experience. A lot of it is mobile-based. And we have to bear in mind that a lot of people are not in that position. And that's the bit that I keep coming back to is we've got to bring these people with us. I, I think for me as well, and I feel like the sort of miserable person in the corner going, yeah, but what's happening to the data? Who else is getting to see the data of what the inside of my house looks like? And is there an AI tagging and inventorying everything that that visual, that graphic shows that company about sat in my house and am I then going to be sent because my data will be hacked on to god knows where will I suddenly be getting advertisements telling me to upgrade my tv because it's five years old and by the way when was the last time you renewed your insurance and all of that stuff I I I, I think it could be fab but I also think I think we're in real danger again of getting seduced by something that looks easy and exciting and all oh, great, isn't it? The money goes out of my wallet without me thinking about it, out of my electronic wallet, let's say, without, I mean, it'll take another 10 years as it has done with big tech to catch up with and Google and so forth to catch up with, yeah, but hang on a minute. They never actually told me they were going to do this with my data and I don't like it, but it's too late to stop it now. So I, yeah, I think it's fab. And I think the jobs in payment companies for people who are having to think like that, Andrea, to protect their businesses and to protect their customers are another job role, hopefully, that's going. And by the way, is there anywhere I can apply, by the way? <laughs> but I agree with you. The data bit is an interesting aspect. And we're already seeing elements of, of those, um, you know, the, the challenges that come out of that. But I think the fact that everyone is focused on the customer experience, the data piece has to factor in that the customer has to really understand the consequences and buy into that. What is interesting 
is that probably, you know, again, I think this is a generational aspect that many of us um, in certain age brackets are really cautious about what we sign up to and, and where certain things appear. And I know I am. I mean, there's certain things, Sal, uh, mad I still am, even though I'm in the industry. I will only make certain transactions from my main PC in my office. I will not carry those out on a mobile phone, even though I work in the industry. Like I've just got myself into a certain routine around security, safety, and all the rest of it on how I operate. And I can't be alone on that. And I think, you know, when you look at youngsters, um, and I can speak, speak uh, <laughs> about experiences here because uh, um, my husband has uh, three, three, three children. They're on Instagram all of the time. You know, I, they will think nothing of being on Instagram and making a purchase of something. And maybe there are unintended consequences, like e.g., maybe not a great merchant. You know, there may be stuff that comes out the back of that. They don't always take those considerations in. They like that frictionless and easy, you know, acquisition and not look at the terms and conditions in the same way that we all would have done historically. So I do think there is difference in behaviours, but I do, um, to your point, Shard, I think there's going to be a lot of learnings that come out of this. And I do think data is going to play an important part and consumers need to be much more aware of what they're signing up to. So I know that you felt passionate about um, education as well, about financial education and where that as part of really empowering people to live their best lives whatever that looks like having choice at least even if you're not born with it getting it somehow and I think that's that's all that other consistent theme I think Andrea as well well I know I don't just think is that you put a lot of energy and effort into supporting other women you know it's not about the job title with you is it I mean quite frankly that means jack jack shit oh god sorry Lucy that means nothing does it to, to you so that that piece it's not around, anymore not not anymore okay not anymore but I mean if I'm honest no different to anyone else you know you had your ambitions you know you're focused on getting yourself to a certain position you know making some good money I think that you know your your conscience and reflecting back on what you've done you know brings you to a different position where you start to look at these things and certainly I can definitely reflect that I was in a a gun-ho go-forward mode for a number of years and um, I had to take a hard look at myself and those aspects around financial literacy uh, and not falling into the same traps you know we touched on it earlier about my mum and her her background and her world um, very very different to mine but I could easily and we and we all have this it's very easy to replicate what's occurred in your family I could have easily gone down the same path. And I had to make a conscious decision that that wasn't for me. I had to break that spiral of behavior um, and, and create different behaviors in myself. And that's not easy to do. No. You know, y- y- your natural instincts are, you know, sometimes, you know, come from, you know, young experiences. Um, and and I, it does strike me, particularly with women, um, that we think very differently about money. There is no, I mean, I, I, I find this appalling that still through schools, there is no financial money management um, education. Quite frankly, it's shameful. And, um, you know, we have very low financial literacy rates in this country, which is disgraceful, quite frankly. Um, and women, um, you know, you know, we're very affected by this because generally, as we all know, we earn less. You know, whether people want to argue that fact, that's just not reality. We do earn less. Um, you know, we don't um, save in the same way as men. 
um, and you know actually few women have savings they're also very dependent on their circumstances um, and in addition to that our pensions tend to be a lot poorer because obviously we're earning less um, so it all feeds into this spiral and so I do feel quite passionate about women being financially independent it enables us to um, you know it's not about having just about having nice things it's being able to make um, decisions, life decisions, and not to be trapped in certain circumstances. So when I can help other women and do financial mentoring, I do. Um, but what I will say, having done financial mentoring, is you've got to be in that space to want to make that change. You've got to change those behaviours. And that is hard to do when you've had a shitty day. Um, you just want to order your takeaway. And that continues to perpetuate those behaviours. So it's it's a challenging space but so much more needs to be done it totally does and andrea because there are so many women that are listening um perhaps some some people might want not have that financial literacy or they might want to understand how to you know how to manage money better how to make sure they have savings how, how to make sure they're not relying so much on their partner and they're relying on themselves and having their own money just in case you know anything happens down the line it's just important is it to have our own money where would you suggest that women go to learn more about money and in a way that's actually going to make a change because I know we read things online there's blogs there's YouTube videos and that kind of thing but it's quite fragmented the information is there somewhere people can go where they can really get that support that they need yeah I mean there's definitely there's um there, I mean there is blogs you're right but there are also networks where people will help and do mentoring um, so there's no shortage of them. I mean, obviously, there's also sisters and advice for people that aren't in a great situation that need immediate relief. What I would say is you've got to have a plan. You know, I had a 10 year plan on how I was going to get myself out of the situation. Um, uh, and, and I know, like, it sounds mad to say these things. And Not you will. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I forgot. Actually speaking, you can hear me. I didn't mean it was mad. I just thought, bloody hell. I mean, how organised? And I still do. I believe you. Organised. That is so organised. I still have a vision and I have a target. And, um, well, my husband says I have a cushion on a cushion on a cushion. And I think that's because I change my behaviours and focus so hard on these things that I've become obsessed about it. Um, <laughs> and, and I also carry this fear factor of going back to what my past was and not wanting to be in that situation. But it takes... Um, it takes a lot of strength, um, you know, and willpower to push yourself down a different path. But what I will say is, is that once you start that process and you start to get a few wins and you really look at your life and you really lift the lid, because what happens to people when they get into this situation is they actually don't want to lift the lid on really how they truly live and what they spend. They hide it. And the more they hide it, the worse it gets. So you've really got to have a plan around being first of all just brutally honest with yourself and finding someone that maybe you can share that with I think as soon as you can be open to someone else I think you're on the path I think when you can't share it with anyone I think that's all part of you putting your head in the sand and I think you know that for me was also probably one of my turning points where I could admit to people you know I have made a complete dog's dinner of my money um, and I need to sort something out. And actually, um, the first person I'd said, I had this horrendous ta tax bill. I'm going to air it now. I might as well just say it. I had a tax bill that came in of about, um, you know, at first I thought it was 80,000, which nearly gave me a heart attack. 
Um, but then it came in and it was actually 100,000. And I thought, holy cow. <laughs> anyway, I rang up um, one of my friends um, to kind of, you know, in shock. And I thought, I'm going to have to say, I need to say it to someone because I was still trying to pick myself up from the floor. And I'd completely mismanaged things with my accountant. They hadn't explained things. I hadn't understood it well enough. And at the end of the day, I'm accountable. It's my mess. Can't really blame the accountant. It was my mess. Um, when I spoke to um, my friend, um, I don't, yeah, he couldn't stop laughing. I'd got myself in such a mess. Was his first reaction was like, because it was so large. Um, but I was then straight onto the process of, right, okay, I'm going to sort it out. I had it sorted in two years. I had a plan. I literally, <laughs> I sold everything I could sell. Um, you know, there's no point having all of these things if um, if you're carrying a huge de debt. I got rid of any, all of my assets, sold everything down, and then worked at paying off what was outstanding. So I I do think there's a process you've got to go through. No one is, um, you know, beyond help, in my opinion. And when you talked about that Westminster speech, um, after I came down off stage of that, um, a lady came up to me working in one of um, the big banks, um, you know, in a reasonable position and said, I need help. Can you help me? And um, I was so touched and taken aback. And she made that first step to kind of opening up and sharing her situation, um, you know, which was a challenging situation, you know, coming out of a messy divorce, kids trying to hold it together um, and keep her, you know, the same life she'd always had. Um, you know, when she had her husband in the dual incomes and no longer had any more. You know, there's a lot of challenges that women face, um, but they are solvable and there is a, you, you can always find a path through it. It's just your ability to stick to it. So I do feel passionately about it. And I do feel it's important that as women, you know, or, or men on your own, that you have that path to financial freedom because there is nothing worse in life than the stress and the mental anguish that that puts on you if you're carrying money woes. There's enough woes in, the, in our world with career and personal relationships that if you add money on, that just sinks people really further. So if you, if you can remove that one area, really, if everything else goes wrong in your life, you know what, at least you're financially sound. But to not have that, that's scary. And that's where I've, I'm fearful I could never go back to that world. Thank you so much. And I, we're going to have to finish in a minute, Andrea. I, I mean, I feel like, Lucy, we could we could carry on for at least another hour, at least another hour, right? I'm just, I was thinking, I could just ask you so many more questions and we could just get so much more from you. I don't even think we covered the shoes, like the odd shoes that you wore when you did that speech at Westminster. So I don't know we saved that for another day or... <laughs> no I want to know were they red and yellow yeah we said at the beginning Andrew's going to tell us about the shoes because like we were saying you do look sorted you are amazing you not only you know are you speaking at Westminster um you're running you know you're basically you're running a payments company you're actually um you know and you care you have this amazing mission you you're helping people you're invested in making sure that every payments are equal for everybody and um which is just incredible anyway um but you turned up at this meeting and you had odd shoes on. <laughs> so all of this, but then, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're special, but you're also normal, um, like the rest of us. So tell us a little bit about that. And then I promise we'll end this session of the podcast. And I think we should definitely have you back on another time if you don't mind.
the shoes aspect. So Westminster was for the Game Changers um, female leaders event. So they have like 10 women that go through it, a year-long process. And this will kind of highlight the fact that I am not the complete picture. I need a lot of work and I'm definitely rough around the edges. I was on this year-long course to help me speak because, I, you know, Sean Carney said I'm articulate. I'm not. I'm dyslexic. I really struggle with some of my words. And I was also struggling with what's my vision and focus as a woman. So I did this year-long course and the end of it was to present at Westminster, you know, things that really bothered me and, uh, and things I wanted to make a difference on. And so I'd been practicing the speech and we weren't allowed to have notes, by the way. You had to get up and speak for 10 minutes and just free will, which is really hard for me, especially with some of my, my challenges personally. I decided to make life easy for us and stay in London that the night before in a hotel get up in the morning feeling really good about myself thinking I am going to nail this in Westminster today go to my bag I had two bloody odd shoes in there um both um leopard print but one had a big hill and one had a little hill and uh I know you couldn't make this up um and I thought oh god what am I gonna do so I texted a few people to say god I've got odd shoes I don't suppose anyone's got any spare no one had any spare and I thought oh, you know what, this is typical me, it never goes right, I always mess it up, I'm just going to have to go in the two odd shoes. Um, so I went, and, um, um, and that meant that when I did the speech, I, it, I think it just knocked me off slightly. So I look, and I can see it when I look at myself, I'm not smiling, I'm stressed, because I felt like I was rushed in the morning, you know, I, you know, I didn't have time to go and buy a new pair. It just wasn't perfect. And I was disappointed in myself. But I guess it just comes to the whole thing that it's never what you see. No matter when you're looking at any woman, if you were looking at Cheryl Sandberg, you can't tell me there isn't stuff going on in the background. We've all got issues, everyone. So no one is perfect. And I think we're really hard on ourselves as women where our expectation is, is that we think someone else has got it right. None of us have got it right. We're all just trying to you know, cut our way through life the best we can and do the best we can. That is all we're trying to do. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Andrea. On that, I think that's the perfect way to round off the podcast. So I'm going to hand over to Sean now, who, of course, is fantastic at rounding up the podcast. And she's going to let just do a quick recap of the podcast and go over everything that we have just learned about Andrea, the amazing Andrea Dunlop. Thank you so much, Andrea, for joining us. Thank you. Andrea, just stupendous. And you see what I mean about Lucy's build-up about the end, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, just do that, Sean. Can you just climb Mount Everest and come back down again? When actually Andrea gave the best round-up that is possible to have. And I've still got this in my, my image in my head because I've watched this speech, as I told you, and I cried because of the passion and the commitment that was coming out of you. And yeah, you did look a little bit nervous, Andrea. But, you've, you know, I, I think anybody would feel that way. But now knowing that actually what you were doing was balancing on two completely different height shoes, I mean, and it made no difference to the impact, not, not to me and not to the audience, because the other thing was that the camera was panning around, wasn't it? And you could see people. I mean, their engagement there, you probably couldn't because you were in the zone. But the camera shows you the impact that what you were saying and how you were saying it was having on the people around you. And I suppose, you know, rather inelegantly, I think that is a really good illustration of you and a really good 
excellent roundup of the the type of person you are and type of amazing woman you are. You've done so much. You've achieved so much. Nothing's ever good enough, but you're fighting that urge in yourself, actually, to, to fight that nothing's ever good enough. It's got to be better than that. I think you're trying really hard to manage that in yourself. And, and what's even more amazing for me is that you really go out of your way to help other women feel that way, to see the best thing in themselves, to take their best strengths and really get a plan and work at it. I love that. I think it's hugely inspirational. And, you know, for me, everything that you do and the way that you do it is so authentic. And especially the bit that says, but I know I haven't got it sorted yet, but I'm going to bloody well carry on until I feel that I have. And for me, that's Andrea Dunlop. And I'm going to get a slightly mushy, dear listener, and say, my heart is full listening to you. Oh, thank you. That's lovely. I really appreciate that. And uh, thank you for having me today. It's great talking like this. And uh, yeah, I'd love to chat more um, on whatever other subjects we've got. I'm sure we've got hundreds. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrew. I told you Sean was good at rounding up the podcast really well. Andrea, where can people go if they want to get in touch with you or find you or find out more about you, find out more about the company and that kind of thing as well? Yep, so um, they can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, obviously. And my company's called The Access Group. So and we have a careers page um, for anyone that's interested as well. And it's an amazing company, by the way. And as Sean knows, I wouldn't say that lightly. It truly is an amazing company. So I feel very blessed. Well, I bet it is amazing with you at the lead there, Andrea. And it sounds like you have some great roles available. So um, Digital Women, do check that out. So thanks again to Andrea. And thank you, of course, to Sean. This has been episode four of the Digital Women podcast. It's actually the Her Story podcast powered by Digital Women. And it's been Lucy Hall, Sean Millie, Andrea Dunlop. And you can find Digital Women at Digital Women, but you replace the one the L with a one, sorry. And you can find Sean Millie at... On LinkedIn, darling. Same place. And Twitter, not Instagram. Well, yes, I am there, but I'm not using it at the moment, Andrea. <laughs> you can find us everywhere. Digital Women, you can find Sean on Twitter and LinkedIn. And Bright Blue Hair, of course, on Twitter. So thanks very much. We'll see you again next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of... Her Story, powered by Digital Women. If you would like to connect with us further, please head over to our community on LinkedIn by typing in Digital Women, on Facebook by typing in Digital Women, or you can connect with us on Twitter or Instagram by using digital, where we're replacing the L with a one, and then women. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Lucy Shall, that's Lucy, S-H-A-L-L, or on LinkedIn as Lucy Hall. You can also connect with Sean. Yeah, you can. Just search for Sean Millie on LinkedIn. Absolutely. So thank you very much for tuning in today. We can't wait for you to tune in to the next episode.